Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student. Hello and welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Lee, sitting in again for Hugh Linehan, and this is your Friday catch-up on the stories that mattered this week. I'm joined by the dynamic duo from our political staff, Jack Horgan Jones and Cormac McQuinn. Gentlemen, you're welcome. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Do we have to sound dynamic now? Quiet week, wasn't it? Well, there was no dispute as to what the biggest story of the week was. Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath unveiled their much-leaked budget on Tuesday, and it exceeded most of even the most maximalist predictions. When the total package amounted to a whopping 11 billion euros, there was almost 7 billion in the regular budget package of spending increases and tax reductions, which would have been considered extremely big by normal standards. But there was also a further 4 billion in one-off giveaways, such as energy credits and a double welfare payment and various other goodies. Jack, we spoke about all this in the post-budget podcast on Wednesday. So I don't want to dwell on the details too much as I guess people are probably familiar with them by now. But instead, I'd like to think for a little while about the the medium-term political significance of it. The generally positive reaction, I gather, was almost ecstatic at the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael parliamentary parties, maybe perhaps more sombre in the rest of the country. Um, but it does suggest that this was a political success, uh, at least in the short term, was it? Yeah, and I think that the number is just too big for it to be anything other in some ways. I mean, the number is so massive that it kind of obscures any of the potential weaknesses and and kind of dominates the first rounds of news coverage thereafter. I mean, we do have this issue with the concrete blocks that I know you're going to talk to Cormac about in a little while, so we won't dwell on that. But there are weaknesses to this budget. The main one, I would say, is probably just this this whole delivery risk. So they've, they've done an awful lot of fairly high-profile, expensive interventions um, that if they don't land or if they underwhelm in some way, the potential blowback uh, will be quite severe for the government. So, for example, childcare. Uh, the headline promise is to deliver a 25% reduction in fees for parents. If it's less than that, or if that in some way is disintermediated or messed up by the complexity of the childcare system and parents are left feeling shortchanged, they'll be, uh, they'll be held to pay. And is that a danger, just on the childcare thing, is that a danger, I mean, have the government's efforts to bring down the cost of childcare thus far suggest that it's uh, not quite as simple as throwing money at the problem? You're an expert in this field, I understand. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Um, and part of the reason that no one can really proclaim to be an expert in it is because the system is just so complicated. I mean, you have different kind of fee structures, different kind of uh, childcare operators offering different services in different parts of the country. Uh, there's at least two different subsidy regimes. And the fact is that, you know, uh, when they pull the policy lever, it goes through a nearly entirely privatised system, which has to kind of get to grips with it. So, you know, there, 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 there's distance between the kind of 
political or policy uh, action or the centre of gravity and, and how it actually gets translated at the far side of that system. And it's also the first time they've made an effort to actually drive down the fees in the lifetime of this government anyway, because the whole uh, approach was this two-step idea where in the last budget they freeze the fees and provide new funding to improve the conditions of workers. And then in this budget they start upping the subsidy and the hope then is that uh, with the kind of the, the trapped dynamic uh, of frozen fees that upped subsidy can't be gobbled up by increased uh, fees to, to parents and has to be passed on. Um, the theory will be tested now, and as I say, uh, they'll be held to pay if they, if they don't uh, deliver on it. Similarly, I think around the, um, the, the, the renter's tax credit, uh, if any kind of equity issues, if any kind of logistical issues emerge in that, if it, if it is less than the political promise, I think that there'll be, there'll be serious difficulties for them. The issue for the opposition, I suppose, is that if any of these things go wrong, it'll probably be, you know, a couple of months hence, perhaps after the new year, when that actually becomes apparent. So the opposition, I was talking to one person in, in Sinn Féin, this week, and they were saying, look, we, we are firm in our view that the, pass- the package isn't of sufficient scale, but that doesn't register when the headline number is so high and it's so easy to throw corporate tax receipts at households. And that, that's another risk as well. You know, I, I think that because the, the number is so big and so many cohorts will be receiving significant payouts from the government, many of these cohorts who aren't used to getting, you know, just wadges of hundreds of euros from the state, that's that's novel and interesting. But like the, the scale of what is coming down the tracks in terms of increased electricity bills is so massive that I think that that will be eroded as well. And when that pot of money runs dry, probably after Christmas, when all the one-off measures wash through the system and you're still faced with, with high uh, electricity and, and gas bills, um, you know, the shine will come off this budget. But again, it's, it's several months hence. And they have now constructed this system where they have ways of getting money to households and now to businesses. Uh, so they can go again, perhaps in January or February. Yeah, because that seemed to me to be the sort of unspoken third element of the budget, if you like, that they were keeping money in. I mean, first of all, they were putting this two billion this year, four billion next year into the National Reserve Fund. We're no longer uh, allowed to call it the rainy day fund, apparently, because people will point out the window and say, well, it's raining, so let's use the rainy day fund. So now this is now the National Reserve Fund. But there'll be six billion in that by this time next year. There'll be two billion in it. Uh, in fact, I think the resolution was passed in the doll, um the other night. So for all we know, the money is already in the National Reserve Fund. So there is this sort of a war chest uh, in um, you know, held in reserve uh, for the government. There's also the fact that they're budgeting for a surplus next year and uh, they were making noises about the the windfall tax on energy companies that would be done at EU level and if they said if it's not done at EU level it'll be done at national level. So there is that potentially giving them a pot of Eamon Ryan was est- estimating this morning uh, on the on Morning Ireland to be between one and two billion euros. So there is the potential of you know another round of giveaways. I suspect in the first quarter of next year. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, as as you've outlined, there's several reserve tanks available to them, um, and that's presuming that you know that corporation tax again doesn't surprise to the upside towards the end of the year. Um, and all the evidence would seem to suggest that 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 there's a good chance that it will. And you know, there's also there's other things like you know there was blowback for them on 
the VAT rate for hospitality. Um, but if you actually look at what Pascal Donahue said in his budget day speech, he just he merely outlined a statement of fact, which is that it's due to expire at the end of February next year. He didn't say he's not, ex- not extending it. So I think that remains open to them. You know, uh, similarly, they, the, the excise and VAT cuts on fuel, they expire at the end of February. So that's another tool that they could take down off the shelf. I mean, worst case scenario, they could just borrow to spend. You know, we're, we're not in deficit spending at the moment. So, you know, that, that remains open to them. So I think if the political exigencies demand it, um, they will be forced into doing it, not least because that's just the, that's just the framework that this government seems to, seems to have adopted, that it will um, backstop uh, firms and households uh, when faced with uh, exogenous shocks. Um, the problem is that, you know, you can get very good at that, get very good at crisis management, but crisis management isn't really a strategy as such and, and bigger structural issues. Uh, while you're, if you're distracted by uh, short-term crises, bigger structural issues aren't getting solved, like housing and healthcare. And ultimately, those are the things that are probably more likely to shape voter intentions at the next general election rather than the government being seen to be good at throwing uh, windfall uh, corporation tax receipts at a crisis. I think that's right. Um, Cormac, Jack mentioned the concrete blocks levy earlier on. This is to uh, help pay, although it's kind of drop in the ocean type uh, type stuff. It's only going to raise 80 million a year for uh, a bill that is estimated to hit almost 3 billion but um it's the if there was everybody always watches out i guess for budget day banana skins and what's going to blow up in the government's face now i think it'd be overdoing it to say that this is blown up in the government's face but there was a ripple of discontent around government backbenchers uh, about this uh, the concrete blocks levy Sure. I mean, Jack mentioned the the, the, the rapture at the, the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael parliamentary party meetings during the week. But if there was one note of, of discord, I suppose, it came at, at the Fine Gael meeting where a number of number of TDs raised this issue of the, the concrete blocks levy. People people like Alan Farrell and, and Brendan Griffin, there is concern that, that this will is simply a, a, no, a tax on, on house building and it will be passed on to people who are trying to buy their first home. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the one area of the budget that is has seen a particular focus as a potential landmine. Um, but I think in, you know, the, certainly the senior government figures, the Taoiseach, Minister Fraus and Darrell O'Brien, Leo Varadkar, have, have very much uh, indicated that they, they won't be U-turning on, on this measure anytime soon. You know, they... they Albeit it will only raise eighty million towards the the three billion plus costs of of mica and and other defects like in apartment buildings, they it's kind of seen as a measure that's needed to ensure that the the building industry is is targeted in some way to help pay the costs of all of that. And so far, in all of their public announcements, they they have they have indicated that they will be proceeding with the levy. Um, but you know, in terms of who who might be upset by the budget. This will be first-time buyers primarily, you know, and they're not a coherent group along the lines of pensioners who governments are always very careful not to upset in budgets, you know. It's... I... I, I don't know how much of a head of steam this will will generate in terms of of uh, opposition to the government and pressure to reverse the the policy because you know it, it's a it's a cohort of people people in their thirties that many of whom struggling to get on the property ladder as they have been for years 
not particularly supportive necessarily of, of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil at the moment anyway. So I don't know if the government will be losing a whole lot by further upsetting this group. The government will be able to point to things that they're, they're doing for that age group, like, like the help with the childcare costs and like the, the, um, the rent tax credit, 500 euro a year, which, uh, you know, it, certainly from remarks from the Taoiseach at the, the Fianna Fáil parliamentary meeting, it suggests that this will become embedded in the system and it's something that they, they will look at increasing in, in future years. Let's move on. Um, over the UK, the, by contrast, the mini-budget unveiled last week by Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng blew up in the government's faces when the financial markets took fright at its mixture of unfunded tax cuts and unlimited spending pledges on, on energy. And on Wednesday, the Bank of England intervened in the market, promising it would buy £65 million of government bonds to support sterling, effectively defending the currency against its own government. Uh, Jack, there was there was a, lots of schadenfreude given the state of Anglo-Irish relations at the moment and the generally negative view of the Conservative Party in government in, in Dublin. There was a good bit of schadenfreude around about that, but I, I think there was also kind of worry about spillover effects, was there? Yeah, it's actually quite funny because everyone in government that you talked to about this is is torn between wanting to emphasise that, you know, they're definitely not crowing about this while also simultaneously really wanting to crow about this and pointing out that, you know, our own budget has gone down very well and that the NTMA was out later in the week saying that there's no need to borrow and all the rest of it. So there is there is a little bit of, you know, if they're ice creams, they'd lick themselves um, even more so than is usually the case amongst politicians. But there is also obviously concern because... Like the, the the import of what happened in the UK this week and what the financial markets verdict on the quote unquote mini budget is uh, can't be underestimated. And um, you know it's it's currently something that's in in the markets and in uh, currencies more than it is in the real economy. But like it, even at that point, you know there's there's impacts for uh, for exporters for anyone who has a UK pension. You know there's there, there's already people who are exposed to this. Uh, tourism is going to take a hit as well. But the more that it, it filters into the real economy, the more that it'll be a drag on the UK economy and generally speaking a drag on the UK economy to a greater or lesser extent is a drag on, on the Irish economy. So there's there, there's significant concern about that. And I think that they'll be concerned as well because, I mean, the, the, the main question as the markets roiled the UK government was will they stick or will they twist? You know, there was this talk about like, is, is Quasi Quartan going to be fired and are they going to are they going to uh, pull up the handbrake on this? And I think it's clear from Liz Truss's fairly uh, uh, terrible series of interviews across local radio yesterday that for the time being, at least they're going to double down and they're they're going to stick with this. You know, the the lady's not returning. I'm sure she she'll she'll welcome the Thatcher comparison, but you know, Thatcher was at least at least more effective. Uh, you could argue in in her interventions. Well, Thatcher, I guess, tamed inflation before she cut taxes. The tax cutting part of Thatcherite economic policy didn't happen until later in her term, after she had undergone that you know, grinding and extremely socially damaging and divisive part of fixing the uh, the country's finances in uh, in the early 1980s. You know, what Truss has done, as loads of people have, have noted, is more Reaganomics than, uh, than Thatcherism. But as I think somebody was pointing out as well during the week, it's Reaganomics without the dollar. And... You know, I mean, it's just astonishing to me to see Nobel Prize laureates now talking about the British 
the British government, the British economy being looked on in the way that markets look on uh, on developing country economies? It is. It's remarkable. I mean, like effectively what, what they tried to do, like I suppose they, they would have hoped that it's it was seen as a bold intervention uh, that branded them as a bold government willing to do ambitious things. But really, I mean, it, it was a enormous sugar rush designed to kind of pump prime the economy and hope that it generated enough kind of velocity that they get that they'd escape the the fairly dour uh, economic forecast that the UK is experiencing at the moment. But it has blown up in their faces, and and they are doubling down. So I mean that conjures the image of the UK government being in uh, in conflict with its central bank, uh, fiscal and and monetary policy being uh, in in conflict for. And for the medium term um, and what that means for UK mortgage holders, what it means for the UK economy more widely, what it means for interest rates over there, what it means for Irish companies that are active in the UK. I mean, none, none of this is good. Um, what it means for British politics as well. I mean, I think there was a hope that, you know, to some extent, Liz Trust might begin to heal British politics. I don't know. It, it was probably always a bit of a forlorn hope, but I mean, it is likely to to deepen the kind of death spiral that seems to be uh, underway in the Conservative Party. Um, it may, I suppose it may, it may heighten the appeal of, of Keir Starmer, though. And we see that in, in the polling, the rather remarkable polling, uh, two polls, I think, this week that showed the Labour Party. 33-point lead in one of them. Yeah, an enormous, enormous little. Now, I mean, the, the extent to which that translates into a majority, if it were to be replicated on, on election day, is debatable because of first past the post and all the rest of it. But, like, I mean, you know, I suppose the... One one silver lining might be that this is so damaging, or it proves to be so damaging that you know the the six or seven year flirtation with uh, with kind of fairly extreme forms of politics that that the Brits have have engaged in may come to an end uh, as a result of this, particularly if it ends up spiraling all the way to a general election and and Labour go in with the fairly fairly prosaic and grey Keir Starmer in charge. It's funny you mentioned of the impact of first past the post on that. I mean, I, I've seen. Uh, predictions of of seat seat gains or losses for for the Conservatives on the basis of those polls, anything from you know losing almost all Conservative seats down to about three seats to to down to about sixty seats. But I, either way, however it translates uh, through through that electoral system, Keir Starmer would be looking at a, the kind of landslide election that that Tony Blair even could have only dreamed of, uh, and must be ruining the fact that it's still another two years until an election is actually scheduled in Britain. Well, we know what happens in the, uh, when you lose the when the markets lose confidence in your country. We know how that works in this country, and it ain't uh, it ain't uh, pretty. But um, but now to a much more cheerful subject, and uh, we'll all be heading down to the RDS this weekend, starting this evening for the Fianna Fáil Ordesh. Cormac, you're looking forward to this, I know. Absolutely, I am. Uh, I will be down there this evening to, to cover Taoiseach Michael Martin's speech to the party faithful. They they will be going into this ordes, I suppose, a little bit buoyant given the, the, the reaction that they, they certainly claim they've had to the budget, all of the, the people inundating their constituency offices with, with praise for how things have, have gone, if, if you believe the accounts that, that are, are being uh, spun to, to political correspondence. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's a significant enough event for, for Fianna Fáil. It's Michal Martin's last Ordesh as, as Taoiseach, uh, you know, before, before the switchover with Leo Varadkar later this year. Um, be interesting to see if there's any indication at all about, you know, how he, he is, uh, his 
plans for the, for the future. He has always maintained, of course, that he'll lead Fianna Fáil into the next general election. That he has to do that. Um, and he, it may well be his intention as well, uh, because certainly the, the doubters have been uh, quieter than they were last year, albeit, you know, there's still, there's still murmurings in the background on, on the whole leadership issue. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there, there'll be a lot of debate, internal the party base over the next couple of days, motions tabled by, by local common, you know, many of which will be calling for things that the party has already delivered in government. Others, you know, might be slightly out of date, like, you know, the, certainly the SDLP seems to have distanced themselves from Fianna Fáil in the last few days, uh, this, this pact that they had or this arrangement that they would cooperate. Uh, but there are motions on this Fianna Fáil Ardesh for calling for greater engagement and cooperation with the SDLP. Uh, so I, I don't know what impact, if any, that they will have. But uh, it's an opportunity for for backslapping between uh, councillors and TDs and the normal grassroots membership of Fianna Fáil. And they will be very positive going into this week's end's events. Jack, you'll be writing about this for tomorrow's paper and uh, and I guess probably be online later this evening. What's your assessment of how the party stands as it goes into this Ordesh? Probably stronger than one would have suspected um, about a year or 18 months ago when all the predictions were that uh, Michal Martin would be kind of out of a job, if not now, uh, very shortly afterwards, and that the the changeover and him becoming Tanishta would be the kind of trigger point for uh, his enemies within the party moving against him. I think the summer, the summer of 2022 was predicted to be when, when this would all happen. And that hasn't happened. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, so the the, the kind of uh, the, the the prognostications that he was going to be a spent force politically have proven to be inaccurate. And I think that he's actually in a fairly strong position now. He's probably stronger than ever now, is he? Probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and he seems to be enjoying himself as Taoiseach as well. And that's something that you get from but across. How long, how long that lasts after he exits the Taoiseach's office, I think is the, the question now, isn't it? Yeah, but like, I mean, he's... He, at least for the time being, he is calling the shots on when he goes. One person said to me, and I think it's a good analysis, and it's a succinct one as well, they said they don't see an event uh, that makes him go at the moment. Like, he's not going to be knifed from within cabinet. Um, there is obviously a very cranky rump to the parliamentary party, but it doesn't have critical mass. And while his outreach to the BP has never been world class and his inner circle is probably not comprised of PP members... He's not, you know, loathed uh, across the PP. Like they're not gonna, they're not gonna take him out. I don't think. Um, so I think that the most likely trigger for him leaving, if he is to leave before the uh, the next general election, and I don't think that anyone really knows whether he means it when he says that he intends to lead them into the next general election. But I think there's a there's a reasonable chance that he does mean it at least for the time being. But the trigger for him going will be, I think, him at the moment anyway, deciding to go, deciding that either his own interests lie elsewhere or the interests of the party in the country are best served by someone else taking them into the next general election. So he's in a, he's in a stronger position. That doesn't mean that any of the kind of systemic um, identity relevance issues that Fianna Fáil uh, face are settled business. You know, so primarily, you know, in, in this new post-financial crash political reality that we exist in, what role does Fianna Fáil play? Is it, is it one of three? Is it the half and a new two and a half party system? Um, you know, can it appeal to the middle ground? Uh, can it hive off voters from Fine Gael effectively because it's lost a lot of its working class base to, to Sinn Féin? Um, and what is its attitude towards going into government, not only with, with the current government, you know, potentially campaigning for re-elect the government uh, campaign the next time out, but more profoundly with Sinn Féin and what conditions? Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the interesting things one of the most interesting things in reporting out this uh, piece that's running tomorrow 
was that three people across the party in relatively senior or senior positions independently articulated to me that, you know, there was a set of preconditions or that, you know, that going into government with Sinn Féin would necessitate Sinn Féin conceding before any policy discussion took place on a set of preconditions, which like some of them are rhetorical around using Northern Ireland and Ireland as the names of the jurisdictions on on, on the uh, on the island. Uh, some of them relate to recognising the primacy of the guards, the defence forces, the courts, uh, you know, no big moves on corporation tax and income tax. So while senior people in the party did insist to me there's no planning for this underway, clearly these conversations are happening. And I was struck by the similarity between those three people, all of them articulating tests, all of them articulating similar kinds of tests. Well, we look forward to your piece and indeed to a weekend of revelry and informative conversations uh, at the RDS. Uh, that's all we've got for you on this week's Friday Catch-Up, bar our popular weekly feature, which is your piece of the week. So my favourite piece, I think, was the lead story done by both of you and various other people on Monday, which basically revealed everything that was going to be in the following day's budget. Some people bemoaning the way this budget was leaked to the press uh, in advance. I say, no, 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 that's not what happened. It was uh, excellent investigative ferreting and the use of political contacts that got uh, practically all the details of the budget in the Irish Times uh, before they were actually published. So well done, fellas. Cormac, what was your piece of the week? I have to say, I was, I was entertained by Oireachtas authorities having to uh, write to every TD and Senator and Oireachtas staff member to, to inform them that the heating won't, will not be turned on until October the 1st at the earliest. Now, it has been, it has been chilly in the environments that, that's of, tomorrow, environments of Leinster House. Um, well, at the earliest, they haven't guaranteed it's happening then. Uh, but uh, it has been chilly. The weather has been colder. Uh, but uh, Jen, Jen Bray uh, unearthed this email fairly early on a couple of days ago, and uh, it remains to be seen when when the heating will be turned on. But they've been told they have to to lead the way in terms of uh, conserving energy, given the, the the crisis we're facing this winter. Oh, for crying out loud! It is pretty chilly uh, around here. Jack, your piece of the week. Well, Pat, as you know, I'm an optimist by nature, but um, if it bleeds, it leads, and there was far too much good humour around the budget this week. So I'll pick only. Burke Kennedy's analysis of the Department of Finance's uh, forecasts, which was produced alongside the budget, and contains uh, a whole load of um, foretellings of doom uh, around, you know, corporate tax and our reliance on same and uh, the era of uh, cheap fossil fuels coming to an end and a shift in, in monetary policy from the ECB, all of which adds up to a, a rather uh, damaging and negative outlook for the economy, both European and Irish, and hopefully will will give us plenty of misery to write about in the time to come. That's the spirit, Jack. My thanks to Jack Horgan-Jones, to Cormac McQuinn. This was produced by Declan Conlon, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.